But you know, they tell me that Italian scientists wondered too. For almost a hundred years they wondered, what in the world are we going to do with this thing? Because if it keeps on going the way it's been going, sooner or later it's going over. Way back in about uh, the late 1100s, an architect, perhaps it was uh, Pisano Banano was his name. We're not sure if that's the guy that did it or not, but he was involved. He began to build what we now know as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And he built three and a half stories in 10 years and then quit. Perhaps because it had already started to tilt. 90 years later, another architect came along and added another three and a half stories. Now, it was already tilting by then, so he straightened his part up and kept it vertical. But, of course, it continued to tilt. And another 80 years later, another architect came along and put on the eighth domed floor. And uh, so there it was. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, it continued to tilt ever so slightly. In the 1900s, it was tilting at the rate of a quarter of an inch per year till it was 17 feet off-center at the top. Now, finally, they figured out a way to deal with the issue, which was the foundation. The foundation was shifting. It didn't have enough strength to bear the weight on one side. It had been built in, in a sandy soil that should have been taken out, and there it was. And if it hadn't been for whatever they did, and I am not a builder, so I don't know exactly what they did, but I know they worked on the foundation and finally stopped the tilting. But you know, if it had continued, it was going to go over. And in our lives, our temptation and our sin is a lot like that. We're... we're, we're we came to know the Lord, we're, we're vertical here, and then something comes along, and, and I just give in a little bit somewhere, and I begin to tilt. Not too much, but not even noticeably, probably. And then after a while, I begin to tilt a little more, and unless something is done at the foundation, by and by, I'm going to fall. Perhaps not physically, but morally and, and spiritually, I'm going to fall if something isn't done about the tilt. And it has to be done at the foundation because they found out that straightening the second three and a half stories didn't help at all. Would you uh, stand with me if you're able and honor God's word as we read in the book of James, and chapter 1, and beginning with verse 16, where it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You may be seated. Last week we discovered that there were some issues that needed to be dealt with, some things we needed to be aware of with regards to temptation. We discovered that it begins with a desire, and then it, it, there, there's deception, and then there's disobedience, and finally there's death. But you know, the Bible never ever leaves us at death. It never ever leaves us with that discouraging truth that you and I are not perfect, that we are sinful beings, and that in and of ourselves we're not fit to come into God's glory and into his fellowship. But the Bible never leaves us there. It always takes us to hope. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. You see, he's talking about this deception that we ran into last week. And if we go back, desire, just a verse, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from God. We said the the first thing we need to know to resist temptation is that sin brings judgment. Sin brings death. But the second thing I need to know is that God is good and loves me. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. The battle of good and evil is fought in the mind. It's not just our will, but it's in our mind. And when we are thinking correctly, then we will follow the Lord. But when my thinking gets corrupted, I'm overwhelmed by my desires and I'm drawn away from the Lord. One of the enemy's tricks is to convince us that God is holding out on us. That God has ulterior motives. That's where he started with Adam and Eve. Came along, had a little chat with Eve. And he said, what? What's the story here? She said, well, God told us not to eat of the fruit of that tree over there. And, and Satan said, what, 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 come on. Listen, I'm going to tell you a little secret here. God is holding out on you. That's exactly what Satan was telling her. God is holding out on you. God wants to keep you down. And God does not want you lifted up. He doesn't want you to know the difference between good and evil. Because God is not good, and his plan for you is constrictive and restrictive, and it's too much, and you don't really need to live that way. In fact, if you want to live a better life, I've got a few things for you. If you go ahead and do that, you will know the difference between good and evil. The goodness of God is a great barrier to sin. 
but we forget the goodness of God because Satan constantly is looking for ways to convince us that God is not good. He did that with Jesus. He said, Jesus, if God loves you and cares for you, why are you so hungry? He said, Jesus, if, if you trust God like you say you do, then jump off the pinnacle of the temple because Psalm 91 says he won't even let you crash to the ground. Let's, let's see if God is really good, as good as his word. And, and, and if God loves you and if you are his son and he really, your father cares about you, then why doesn't he just give you the kingdoms? Why is he sending you to the cross? I'll just give you the kingdoms right now. See, Satan always offers us good things. He always offers us something that is desirable. If it wasn't desirable, why would you be tempted by it? <laughs> I'm not even that dumb. I'm not tempted by stuff that's not desirable. I have, I have no temptation to eat turnips. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas because it was the one day my wife cooked, my, my mother cooked turnips and I didn't have to eat them. And I thought, that's really good. See, I had, I had no inclination along that line. And if you didn't have a sinful nature, there'd be no inclination towards this. And if Satan didn't come to us with things that are desirable, if he didn't come to us with something I want, I wouldn't be tempted to follow him at all. I wouldn't be tempted to leave the Lord. I wouldn't be tempted to wander off. I wouldn't be tempted to dishonor my Savior. All, all of those kinds of things wouldn't happen if it wasn't something good. But if I can understand this, God is not holding me down. God is not holding me back. God is not trying to find out if I'm having a good time and then squash that. That's not what God is doing. God is giving me good and perfect gifts which are coming down from above. And they always are good. You see, Satan comes as an angel of light to offer us good things. But God is actually giving us good things. Think about God's goodness and his gifts. What it says here is that all good and perfect gifts are coming down from the Father above, right? So let's, let's take that apart a little bit. That also means that Everything that comes from God is good. It means that everything that is good comes from God. And by the same token, if it's not good, it's not from God. And if it's not from God, it's not good. All of those things are true. So some of you in, uh, in school probably studied Aristotelian logic, major premise, minor premise, conclusion. I see a few smiles here, like I thought I was done with that. The major premise is God is good. The minor premise is he give, uh, <clears throat> God cannot change. And the conclusion is 
The only thing you will ever get from God is something good. Even the testing that I'm going through right now, even the struggles that are testing your life, whatever that may be right now, even those things. You see, you and I, always when we come into trouble, what do we ask? We put up our hands and say, why, Lord, why me? I'm a good person. But what if we asked a different question? You see, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. And why is the wrong question? Because so many things I will never know in this life. Why would I bother asking God why when I know that this thing is, I'm not going to understand it, certainly not right now. Let's change the question. When I'm in the middle of struggles, when people are not being fair to me, when people are misusing me, when life is not fair, when I'm struggling, then I can ask God this. Lord, what can I learn from this? You see, whatever you're going through, whatever is in your life right now, whatever the temptations are, you can learn something even though you cannot change the thing you're in. When people come to me and want me to pray for them, they normally want me to pray, Lord, get me out of this mess and do it quickly, please. What if we came with a different question and said, Lord, uh, while, while I'm waiting for you to get me out of this, could you show me what I can learn from this? Is there something in this? Because there is always something you can learn. There is always something that will strengthen you. I mentioned when I first came here, and I, I like roller coasters. So is that okay? Like, you know, this old grouch likes roller coasters. And, and uh, you know, when you're going down and, and then back up and you're pressed into the seat, that's fine. But what about when you get back up to the top of that hill? Not the first one you're going slowly. I'm talking about the one where the rockets are. So, it's going to go over, and you're going to lift up. And what's going to happen? It's going to go off the track, and you're going to get killed. <laughs> now, that's what you're thinking. But I have found out something. They have it fastened underneath. It's not just riding on the rails like a train does. It's fastened underneath with wheels and everything, and there's lots of them, and they're, they're going to keep me in, and the belt is around me, and all I, uh, my job is not to do anything but scream. <laughs> you see, because there's a solid connection to the tracks. And you and I need to be constantly aware that we need a solid connection to the tracks that we're supposed to run on. And that solid connection is the Word of God and the Spirit opening that Word in our lives. I would like to suggest to you, go home and read Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Well, I just talked to you out of reading it, didn't I? <laughs> But wait a minute, the whole psalm is about God's rules, God's regulations, 
God's covenants, God's all of the things. God said, do, 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 or don't, don't, don't. And I, what's exciting about that? The whole psalm is about how good this is in my life. He said, Lord, I've, your rules have helped me. Your rules have blessed me. Your rules have made my life worthwhile. It points out the whole chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the goodness of the rules of God, the goodness of the direction of God in my life. God is directing my life. God has given me rules. God has warned me against temptation for my good, not to hold me down, but to lift me up, not to beat me, but to strengthen me. Those things I go through in my life, they bring strength if I come to God in the appropriate way. First Sunday, I was, second Sunday I was here, I mentioned to you about the gym and the pain and the running. And, and I'm here to tell you, it takes longer than three weeks for the pain to go away. <laughs> Discovered that a couple days ago. It takes longer than three days, three weeks. But it's coming. It's coming. And in our Christian life, there are constantly things that I see as totally painful. And James says they are good gifts coming down from the Father of lights. You see, God gives constantly. That sentence is in the present tense in Greek. Do not be deceived. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming, coming down. It's not that it came down. It's not that you at some point got the good stuff and, and now you've got to hang on to that. But God is constantly bringing down good gifts from heaven. God wants to give you good gifts. Now, some would say, well, so that means that whenever I'm sick, God will instantly heal me, and whenever I'm in trouble, God will instantly get me out of it. That's not what it says here. It says that we need to learn from those struggles, but God is giving me good gifts. He does not give occasionally, but continually, constantly, consistently. And even the tests in my life are part of God's good gifts to me. The goodness of God is such an encouragement against temptation. You see, God doesn't change. God is always the same. He will never be worse because he's holy. He will never be better because he is perfect. And it says here that there's no change in him, no variation or shadow due to change. God is always good. Always good. God always loves me. God always cares about me. God is always concerned about what I'm going through and takes no joy in my suffering, but he knows that in my suffering, I can on the other side be stronger and better and more effective for him. So if the first barrier to sin is God's judgment and the second barrier to sin is God's goodness, then the third barrier to sin is 
God's work in my life. You see, Satan has no gifts. We pay dearly for everything. Satan offered gifts to Adam and Eve, but he didn't deliver. They did know the difference between good and evil, as he had promised, but it wasn't a blessing, it was a curse. They were evil now. They learned the difference because they went from one to being the other. And God had a gift for them of salvation. And right in at that first chapter where God's judgment was pronounced, he promised in a rather vague way at first, he promised his son who would someday come and destroy the evil one. He said, he will, he'll bruise my son's heel, but your, my son will bruise his head. See, if you get your heel bruised, that's painful. If you've ever done that, you'll know it's really painful. But if you get your head bruised, that's like we're done. And that's exactly what God was saying. Satan, God, Jesus is going to destroy you by the death and resurrection which overcomes all that you have sought to do. And the next time I'm tempted, I need to remember and meditate on the goodness of God. I need to meditate on the power of God's divine nature within me. That's how it ends here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. You see, if I look ahead and see judgment. I look around and see God's goodness. I look within and see the Spirit of God at work in my life. And so that's what we need to do. We need to look ahead, look around, and look within. The supernatural difference that God has made in my life. And sin is not compatible with that nature. You see, he talks about two births in this passage that we have been looking through. The first one, temptation, when it gives birth, gives birth to sin. Ah, but that's not what we're after. But Jesus, when he gives birth to us, when God gives birth to us, he gives us an eternal life. He takes us away from that judgment, and he takes us into his family. Of his own will he begot us, John says. Remember the, the story of uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, and he didn't want anybody to see him, he just, but he was curious. And Jesus said to him, well, you know, uh, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about the spiritual new birth. And Nicodemus is not getting it at all. He said, Jesus, um, th th that doesn't make any sense. My mother was, she, well, she was mad enough the first time at the pain I caused her. You're going to put me back in her womb and let me be born again? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, that's what, there's, there's that which is born of the flesh, of the will of man, 
And that, then there's that which is born of the Spirit of the will of God. And you and I have had the joyful experience, if we have trusted Jesus Christ, of being born into the family of God and being a part of the most glorious and wonderful thing that God has ever done by bringing people back to himself. And you and I have the privilege of serving a good God, a gracious God, a loving God, a, a God who wants the best for us. And when he said, don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other thing, he wanted us to be better, not worse. He wanted us to be stronger, not weaker. He wanted us to be more glorious, not more miserable. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I cannot boast at all about any good thing in my life, but I can thank God for his gracious love, which has taken me and made me a part of his family for my good, not for my pushing down, for my blessing, not for my cursing. God has saved me. And you and I, when we think of the thing that God has done for us, should want to jump up and down and say, glory, hallelujah. And if you feel like it, go ahead. <laughs> and it's, you see, it's through God's word that all of this can be a part of our lives. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, Peter tells us. This is God's word to us. This is God's message to us. This is God's truth. Everything in it is true. Everything in it can bless me and strengthen me. There are a few parts I haven't figured out exactly how yet. You, maybe you've read some of those parts like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. I don't yet either know all of it, but I know this. This is my eternal hope, my belief and trust in the word of God that God has given to me, and he has, by his own will, brought me forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. What? Why did he call us first fruits? Do you ever ask yourself some of these like little details? Why, why is that there? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a thing about first fruits. And you all know about first fruits. Some of you are gardeners. Now, probably, uh, you know, if you're at Western, you probably don't have much of a garden right now, but give it time. And, but some of you are gardeners. You grow some tomatoes or some other thing, and your tomatoes climb up, and, and uh, pretty soon they start to get pink. And, and not all at once, but there's one you got your eye on, and it's pink today and a little bit pinker tomorrow, and you really, really want to grab that, but you wait because you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to taste far better when it gets to be red. And that first tomato, is that not pure bliss? In the Old Testament, God said, the first fruit is mine. When you have your first tomato, I get it. When you have your first lamb, that's mine. When you have your 
First, that's mine. Then the rest I have given to you to use. And you know, you and I are God's first fruits. He said it right there. That is, we belong to him. My life is not my own. My life is God's. People come into my office now and then they want to get married. And that's a good thing. Worked out well for me, not so well for my wife, but here, <laughs> here we are. And, and sometimes the conversation goes like this. Well, now, how, how did you two meet? Okay. And what's going on in your lives? And are you followers of Jesus? Um, you're not living together, are you? Oh, wait a minute. That's none of your business. That's my personal life. Gets up and stomps out. I could hear him swearing all the way to the car. Folks, that's all God is interested in, is your personal life. That's all he is interested in. Everything that God wants from you and me involves my personal life. It's my personal life that Jesus died to save. It's my personal life that Jesus died to change. It's my personal life that Jesus died to make honoring and glorifying to him. So, remember, as we go away There's judgment ahead for sin. But there's good news that God is good and God only gives good gifts and God has given me the opportunity to know him and to look forward to an eternity with him which will be glorious and wonderful and not boring. And then God has given me a new life inside which is incompatible with sin and should be not mixed up with sin, and should be living as though I wanted to glorify God in everything I do because I am his. I am not mine. I am only his. And so as we go home this morning, be encouraged by the goodness of God and the promises that he has made that are always good and are always for our benefit and will always lift us up. And his rules are for our good, not just to hold us back and put us in a cage. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of salvation. Thank you that your good gifts are good gifts, that they're always good gifts, and that all good gifts come from you, that you are always seeking our good and not trying to hold us back. Thank you, Father, for these truths. I pray that because of the spirit within us, they may be embedded in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. For I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.